It's Tuesday, October 27th. I'm Stephen Fee, and this is The Pen Pod, a podcast from Pen America. On today's edition, former teacher and now best-selling author of books for children and young adults, Tammy Charles. She talks about how her students convinced her to become a writer, raising children at a moment of racial discord, the pandemic of hate and injustice, and her new book, All Because You Matter. I'm Stephen Fee, all that coming up on The Pen Pod. Best-selling author Tammy Charles, Argina Chung takes it from here. Tammy Charles is a former teacher and full-time author of picture books, middle grade and young adult novels, and nonfiction. She's the author of middle grade novels like Vanessa and Definitely Daphne, Becoming Beatrice, a YA novel, and the picture book Freedom Soup. She joins us today on the Pen Pod to talk about her new picture book, All Because You Matter. Um, so Tammy, thank you so much for being here with us on the Pen Pod. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this book is, it's such a beautiful reminder to black and brown children about their worth and their beauty. And it feels especially necessary now in this moment amid renewed calls for racial justice, as well as the ongoing movement for black lives. Can you tell us a bit about where the impetus for writing the book came from? Absolutely. So I thought about writing the book as soon as I discovered that I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um you know, the second I found out, oh, wow, I'm going to be a parent, there's so much beauty in that, but there's also like a little bit of fear, you know? Mm. And um, and I didn't know what I was having. Like, I didn't know if I was having a boy or a girl until he was born. So when he was born and I discovered it was a boy, like even th that probably uh, scared me even more um, mm. because... I, I know that for as beautiful as this world can be, and it is, it certainly is, there are, uh, there are some scary things. There are some like unjust things that have happened and are still happening to people of color, mm -hmm. uh, particularly black and brown people. And, and that kind of made me feel like, man, how am I going to like raise him in a world like this. Well, my first reaction was that I would just shield him, you know, keep him in a bubble mm -hmm. and, and not really address anything. I wanted to keep him so little, like as little as he could be forever. But as parents, um, we all know this as parents that, you know, kids grow up and we can't stop them from growing up and learning things and hearing things and experiencing things. And that's pretty much what happened when my son went to school and he met new friends from all different walks of life, uh, which has been beautiful. But along the way, he's had some real questions based upon things that he's learned at school or seen in the headlines. I remember mm -hmm. one of his first uh, questions to me, he was like five or six, and he had learned about Dr. King at school. And he said, Mommy, why would they want to hurt him if Dr. King was such a good person? He was trying to do good things for everyone. And he was only five or six when he asked that. So that was like a light bulb moment for me. Like, okay, it's time to start having these tough talks. How am I going to do it? And, you know, fast forward a bit, I wrote this book. I took all the words that I had bottled up about, you know, how I was feeling about the state of our country. And I wrote them, I put it into a love letter because I want mm -hmm. my son to know, you know, that this, this earth, this universe, it's beautiful. 
and there's so much beauty in it. Um, there's a bit of ugly in it, but that doesn't diminish your worth. And um, I just wanted him to know how much he matters, despite mm -hmm. what he may hear or see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that comes across so powerfully in the book. Um, that Thank sense you. of that sense of love and protectiveness. Yeah. Um, and before you began writing full time, you were a teacher, and you know you mentioned just now that some of the first conversations you had with your son were sparked by things that he was learning in school. Can yes. you tell us about that transition from teaching to writing and how you think your experiences, you know, as an educator might have informed your writing? Well, I have to say, um, I, I taught for 14 years and it really was the time of my life. I miss it. I miss my children. They weren't my students. They were my children. Mm -hmm. um, and they were the ones who helped me uh, kind of like re-envision the dream I had for myself as a child. I wanted to be an author growing up. I didn't think that I could because I didn't see myself in the books that I read, the books that I had access to. By the time I started teaching, there were definitely more diverse books you know, available to my students than I had growing up. And together we we read stories and we wrote stories and it was such a magical journey that I started writing again and I would share my writing with my students and they were the ones who gave me the green light they said wow miss charles you should you should really be an author mm, <laughs> so i'm mm -hmm. very thankful <laughs> that that they kind of like brought that spark out in me um so the transition from teacher to author really wasn't that different um as a teacher, we read and wrote stories together. Um, and my students, I feel like I was able to create a classroom that felt like a safe space for them to really put all of their feelings onto the page. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's kind of manifested in the relationships that I maintain with lots of my students, even to this day. I have students who are, who are like <laughs> married with three kids now, it's, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, being with my students for all those years, it, they informed my writing because they would share, you know, their feelings and their fears with me. And, and it really helped me just become a better writer overall. Mm, that's so amazing that, you know, um, in your relationship with your students that you just described, it was kind of like a two-way thing where, oh, yeah. you know, you got to have those conversations together. Absolutely. We, we had Monday meetings. We called them a Monday family meeting. Uh -huh. And the kids, I remember the kids really liking that because, you know, when you're in kindergarten, you do like circle time and the teacher reads to you and it's all like really like cutesy and stuff. Well, I was teaching the oldest kids in the building, fifth mm -hmm. graders. So I definitely couldn't call it circle time, but <laughs> I did call it like our Monday family meeting. And they really looked forward to that because we would all gather at the start of the day and everyone would go around telling me how their weekend was. And it was an honor system. Whatever we said in that room stayed in that room. So mm -hmm. I might have had a student who, who said, you know, I went to Great Adventure this weekend. It was awesome. But then I, I had a student who would reveal my dad didn't come to see me again. That's the third weekend he's missed his visitation. Mm -hmm. You see? So that there's that like family atmosphere, that give and take that that feeling that 
these kids can can tell me how they're feeling and and not uh, you know be punished for it Mm-hmm. They can yeah. fully be themselves and fully put their curiosity on display, which ties back to what I tried to do with this particular book. My son mm-hmm. now literally will ask me anything because he's not afraid. If he if he comes across a YouTube video, I can't watch him all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. If he comes across a YouTube video, which he did, he stumbled on the George Floyd video. He could have kept that to himself. He didn't. Why? Because he knows that my mom has made this atmosphere where I can come to her and ask her questions and I'm not going to be penalized for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that feels so important for, for kids. It to has be able to, to just, be. Yeah. To, and to and I got to tell you, yeah, I got to tell you, you can't put a color on that either. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, this is a love letter to my son. Yes, this is a love letter to black and brown children. But this is also an affirmation to all children. Mm-hmm. My hope as a as an educator, as a parent, as an author, is that all children will have that safe space, that safe place and person that they can go to to say, hey, a teacher or a parent, you know, I, I saw this. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right? So that was kind of like the springboard for All Because You Matter. Yeah. And the book itself, you know, it really feels like um, it might be for some parents and, and kids like a starting point to have those conversations, especially if they're if they're quite young. So, you know, it mm-hmm. just it feels like a like, as I said earlier, just a really necessary book for for all those reasons. Um, and I you. wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to go back to the point that you brought up about um, diverse stories and sort of, you know, noticing that there are more now than there were when you were reading as a child. Yes. Um but of course, you know, my feeling is that there always can and should be more. Absolutely. One, yeah. One of the main focal points of conversations happening now around the sort of reckoning um, of racial justice um, is the need for more, more representation in books and publishing in particular on the page, among published authors and in publishing houses themselves, because as we all know, that has a huge impact on the types of stories that get to be told. So I'm curious, um, how have you seen these conversations impacting the world of children's books particularly? I feel like right now we're at a reckoning in children's publishing. Mm. Um, And man, have we seen it during the rise of these, not one, but two pandemics. We got two Mm -hmm. pandemics going on at the same time time. We have COVID-19 and then we've got a pandemic of hate and injustice. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's on all of us, right, to do the work to wipe that out. Um, I think that publishing is, they're getting on board. I think we still have a long way to go when you look at statistics. And I don't want to misquote, but I know that um, I know that one of the latest statistics, it was reported by We Need Diverse Books, like, yes, there's a large percentage of books that feature white characters written by white authors, but that second category is animals. <laughs> it's not even it's not even us. And then mm-hmm. comes, you know, Black, uh, Latinx, but all the numbers just like really, really dwindle. And I think, Mm -hmm. I hope publishing is finally getting on board. I've been seeing some really exciting things um, that have opened up conversation. 
uh, one being hashtag uh, publishing paid me. Mm, and mm-hmm. I believe that was started by a black author. Oh, I hope I'm saying this right. L.L. McKinney, um, which has really brought out the disparity in uh, pay for mm-hmm for us as publishing, uh, as published authors. So yeah, let's have these conversations. Let's make things fair and equitable. Um, one thing that I'm super excited about is I am repped by, um, Lara Perkins of the Andrea Brown literary agency. They just hired, uh, two agents of color. Mm -hmm. One, I want to shout out one in particular. Her name is Jemisco Chambers Black. Um, she's not my agent, but She has been helping my agent with some things, some projects that I'm working on. So it's really nice to see that publishing is trying. Uh, My message to publishing is uh, don't stop here. Like, Mm, keep mm -hmm. it going. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I... Um, it's something that I think about a lot too, and that we at PEN America are often, you know, thinking about as well in terms of representation and, you know... What, what does it mean for um, literature as a whole if, you know, more stories can get told? And obviously the answer is that we are we are all the better for it, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, ho- I, I hope so, too, that, you know, it doesn't end here and that this is really just the starting point for, for continued representation and Absolutely. continued conversations around how to improve all of that. Yeah. My biggest um, dream is to see it reach a point where it's just like normal. Mm-hmm. Like, let's right. just normalize it so that we don't have to, like, continually push, push, push. Okay, we're here. Like, let's just make this normal. It should right. be normal that we have, uh, you know, BIPOC people at the at the top of the chain in publishing, making those decisions. Let that trickle all the way down from top all the way down to, you know, authors and illustrators. Like, let's just spread the love all the way and the equity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And across audiences and genre too. Absolutely. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you, you know, cause you mentioned that, you know, going back to this book, it's, it's so much about um, affirming black and brown children and, you know, helping them make sense of kind of their place in the universe and really the history of things. Um, mm-hmm. And I love the way you bring in the cosmos too, in the book. It's, it's such beautiful imagery um, how can parents and parents of black and brown kids, especially um, during what feels like a particularly uncertain and scary time, help their mm-hmm. kids make sense of what's going on right now, you know, with the, the headlines as they are every Absolutely. day? So this question is a, is a really tough one. I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Mm-hmm. My purpose in writing this uh, poem, really, it's a poem. I tried to make it lyrical. I tried to make it beautiful. And I tried to make it open to your own interpretation as a parent, Mm -hmm. caregiver, teacher. Um, I really did not want to write it in a didactic way because my goal is not to be didactic. Um, I feel like, you know, the onus is not so much on me. The onus Mm -hmm. is definitely on the adult in in the situation, be it parent, teacher, caregiver, librarian. it's on adults to figure out how they can do that. My, the best piece of advice that I have is instead of trying to come up with some magic prescription on how to do it, the starting point should be the environment that you create for the children. It's that environment that will allow you 
and to to have these conversations i think the environment that you create that's really going to be like the vehicle from mm-hmm. there you'll know what to do if you focus on creating a home environment or a class environment where the child in your life feels that they can come to you for anything any question anything that they're curious about and and feel like they won't be penalized that's where the real conversations will come you will mm-hmm. earn that child's trust for eternity um but the but the key is to make the child feel safe do not make the child feel as though you're judging you know you're judging the question or you're judging the curiosity just let just let the child be this is what mm-hmm. he or she is curious about hear the kid out and we have i think we need to give kids more credit these kids are smart mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and i've yeah. taught i've taught some geniuses over the years that have <laughs> left me mind blown and and like sometimes we just have to take the back seat you know as adults mm-hmm. and from there you'll be able to have these conversations and i and i do wish that as adults we don't kind of like um push an agenda my my you know my goal is not to push an agenda on my son i will i will reveal like facts things that he can read and things that he can watch i want it i want him to create his own opinion because you know what mm-hmm. his opinion might be different from mine i don't want to push my opinion on a topic i don't want to push that on him mm-hmm. but i can show him and along the way if it's a topic that's tough if it's a topic that makes him see like wow this is this is really wrong how they're treating this person and oh my goodness this person looks like me or my friend or my cousin um i want him while he's being open to that and asking me whatever he wants along the way i'm going to remind him that i love him i'm going to remind him that he matters so that mm-hmm. he wears that you know mm-hmm. on his shoulders and he never forgets it so yeah. that's it that's really just my advice <laughs> it's probably non advice but there we have it no i think that's that's such a great point you know cuz i think as someone who didn't uh speaking for myself personally um who didn't grow up in an environment where i was super encouraged to ask those questions i think it would have really made all the difference and yeah. you know really really changed my own sort of um grappling with like racial consciousness and understanding so i think that's a really yeah it's it's a really good starting point i think um you know, I'm not I'm not a parent personally, but I think that that makes a lot of sense to me as someone who has been a child and <laughs> has been around yeah. kids for for part of my life. So yeah. Um, and lastly, one thing I wanted to ask you, um, we've been asking folks on the podcast to kind of tell us what they've been reading right now to kind of make sense of things if if that's something that um, you're able to do right now. But I also wanted to ask you kind of an inverse of that question as well, because one line in the book that really struck me was. Um, this line, uh, which was the first time you opened a book and you really saw yourself, your same hair, same skin, same dreams. Um, Mm -hmm. It's such a poetic and beautiful line. And uh, I really wanted to ask you, um, can you tell us about a book that may have impacted you in this way um, in which you saw yourself for the first time in its pages? So this is a question that I could take one whole hour to answer. So I'm going to try to <laughs> I'm going to try to whittle it down. And I've been asked this question mm-hmm. um and my answer today is going to be different from past answers. 
mm. um, that I've given. And, and here's why. The truth is, yes, I loved reading growing up. No, I didn't really see myself in the books that I read while growing up. I read mm-hmm. a lot of Anastasia Krupnik and Ramona Quimby and Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley High. And that was all cool. But those girls didn't look like me. They didn't live in an in, in urban area or, or anything. Like I didn't have much in common in that respect. I, mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't really see myself in a book, truthfully, until I started teaching. I was a whole adult by the time I realized that, oh, wow, they have diverse books now? (laughs) Where was this (laughs) when I was growing up? And and honestly, so by the time I started teaching, and this is like 14 years ago, so um, that's when I learned about authors like Jacqueline Woodson and Carol Boston Weatherford Mm -hmm. and Meg Medina and Kwame Alexander, uh, Walter Dean Myers. Like, where were these authors when I needed them (laughs) growing Mm -hmm. up? But the beauty of it was it's never too late to dream a dream that you may have put away because you didn't think that you could do it. Imagine if I had that growing up, if I had that representation growing up. I didn't. So technically, I'm a late bloomer to this. But for those kids who can see it now, that's mind-blowing that our kids can see themselves now in books. People who look like them, same hair, same skin, same dreams. Mm -hmm. It's such an honor for me to finally be included in that conversation with other authors who I've admired once I saw myself in books. And and that didn't happen until I was an adult, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's um, it's so interesting that you mentioned um, how uh, it's such an experience, like kind of discovering those books now, and then also seeing yourself as part of those yeah. as, as part of those lists. That's that's got to be such an amazing experience, um, albeit a, you know a belated one because we should have had these all along. Should have. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm playing catch up. Yeah, <laughs> I do. That, that's why I feel like that's why like I have I have quite a bit of books that have either published or are forthcoming in a short amount of time. It's because I've been devouring the books that I would have liked to read, which have in turn inspired me as an author to like really spit out so many books because I'm so inspired by the canon of literature that's now available. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I mean when I say I'm playing catch up because I would have been doing this had I known. Yeah, I feel similarly. I, I feel like um, a lot of the books that I'm turning to these days um, are also sort of in the children's and YA categories because I'm like, where were these when I was, you know, growing up and looking mm-hmm. for things beyond, you know, it's funny you mentioned Sweet Valley because that was like my bread and butter too growing up. <laughs> that and Babysitter's Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's great that there are so many of them coming out and, you know, we just really need more, even more of them. So, um, and it's so wonderful that that your book, um, All Because You Matter, is now is now part of this sort of blossoming of, of books that really center the experiences and stories of Black and Brown kids. Yes, it's been, it's a real gift. I'm thankful um, for Brian Collier's art. Um, it's, 
it's everything and more than what I imagined it could be. Oh my gosh, the illustrations. I, yeah, I just started crying when I saw one of the spreads. I was like, this is just so beautiful. So, and that's my um, son. That's his actual face on the oh, cover throughout. Wow. He invited us to uh, a library up in New York. And mm-hmm. um, I pull, I remember because I pulled my son out of school and my son is very dedicated with attendance. But this was, this was totally worth it. Like I pulled him out of school for the day. We drove up state a little bit and he took some pictures, had, had us posing in you know, different scenarios. I guess he had already had a vision in his head of how he was going to artistically tell the story. He took the mm-hmm. pictures and drew them from there. And when I tell you, he, he has my baby spot on down to the sparkle in his eye. So that's amazing. Yeah. I'll oh have this forever. You know, when he, when my son becomes a a parent, he can give this same book to his children and I could be long gone. And my, my children's children's children will have this. So my work is done. Like I could totally retire, (laughs) but I'm not, (laughs) I won't retire. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Well, that's amazing. I mean, can I tell you if I were like, if I had had the opportunity to be, to be featured in a book at at your son's age, I would have been like dying of just happiness as like a total like book lover as a kid too. (laughs) This kid has bragging rights for years. (laughs) Trust me. He's eating it up too, because he's done a few promos with me and he's Uh telling everyone it's his book. You know, I'm just the vessel. (laughs) He's the star. Right. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Well, I love that little uh, behind the scenes look we got into into the art as well just now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Um, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Tammy. Um, the book is so beautiful. It's called All Because You Matter. Um, thank you so much for being on the pen pod with us. No problem. I had fun. And that's our episode for Tuesday, October 27th. Join us tomorrow for the Pen Pod. You can listen to all our episodes at pen.org. Follow us at Pen America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're just a week away from Election Day. Check out our What to Expect page on pen.org to shield yourself from disinformation in these final campaign days. And in your podcast feed this week, we'll have essays from some of your favorite writers on their anxieties, thoughts, and hopes before Election Day. I'm Stephen Fee for PEN America. This is the PEN Pod. See you soon.